I'm going to be a little tethered here today, so I tend to kind of want to move, so I'll probably try to move this with me. Well, good morning. Uh, good to see you, all your bright faces this morning. It's going to be a really hot day, so <laughs> but I'm so thankful to, to be up here. Uh, Pastor Tim, his daughter got married yesterday, and so I know they're celebrating with their new their family and their new son-in-law, so we we bless them and pray for them, and, and so, but it's always a privilege to, to be before you and to, to bring God's word, and I, I, I say this every time, I, but I'm always the greater receiver of blessing, it seems like, when I study to do this, and so I pray that what the Lord has blessed me with, he will bless you with today, and I pray that you'll be encouraged more than anything. In your faith in him. So today the title of the message is the gospel of the kingdom and if you want to go ahead and turn our text will be Matthew 4 verse 23. The gospel of the kingdom. So what do you think about when you hear the word kingdom? Um, I was thinking about this. Some of us might have images of kings and castles and knights and lands you know with borders that can be expanded and has to be defended you know, that might sound a little too medieval <laughs> of an idea, but maybe today we might picture a country like the United Kingdom, or maybe in terms of in our Christian world, Christians maybe establishing or building ourselves a kingdom through the church or through government. And it's because of trying to understand what kingdom means biblically, I was moved to study this idea of kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. What I hope for us to see today is what does God mean by kingdom when we read about it in the Bible. And it's a very important concept to understand because it's a common idea, especially in the New Testament and really with Jesus himself. This idea forms a major theme of Jesus' preaching and also other New Testament writers, a major theme. So with that, let's turn in our Bibles, if you haven't already, to Matthew 4, verse 23. And we'll focus in on this one verse, and even within this verse, I'm going to drill down into that phrase in the title of the message, the gospel of the kingdom. So Matthew 4, verse 23. So Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So we'll look at this gospel of the kingdom and try to answer three basic questions. What is it? Why do we need it? And how is this gospel established? So first, what is the gospel of the kingdom? So one of the things that struck me over the last several years is how often I hear talk of the kingdom. I've heard some people saying that we're building the kingdom, we're ushering in the kingdom, and wondered if that was the real way to think about God's kingdom. What is our part? What's God's part? And kingdom is not an easy idea to wrap our heads around. And even if you read passages that talk about the kingdom in the Bible, it can leave us a little confused at times. And I was asking myself, well, why is that? Well, if you think about the gospel of the kingdom, this is at the heart of God's plan for the world. We are dealing with something here that is at the center of God's plan for this world. And in many ways, it comes to us as a mystery. Jesus called it the mystery of the kingdom of God. 
And he talked about it many times in parables, which are basically just earthly stories that we can connect to with a heavenly message or meaning. And Paul uses the word mystery over 20 times, describing different aspects of the gospel, the good news. Paul says that the mystery, and this is one aspect of it related to the Gentiles, had been hidden for ages but is now revealed to the apostles and the prophets. So one thing we do know, Jesus used the term or phrase more than any other to describe his mission. This idea was at the heart of his message and ministry. If you were in Galilee at the time where he grew up and he started his, his earthly ministry, you would hear him say this a lot. He would say, and remember, this will ring in your ears when, as you read the Bible. You've seen this over and over. Jesus would say, the kingdom of God or heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So what can we say about what it is that has been revealed about the gospel, the kingdom? And like with anything, God will reveal truth to us as we look to his word, only prayerfully and expectantly. So you can turn there if you want, but I'm going to give a couple examples of understanding this kingdom. And I'm going to kick this off. I get a little crazy, so I know... I want this to go with me. So, <laughs> so one example of talking about the kingdom in Psalm 145, verse 11, it says, All your holy ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. So David is writing here, and he's using a common literary tool in Hebrew poetry called parallelism. And he's stating the same thought different ways with different words. So here, what you're, what you're hearing him say is, speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power are saying the same thing. Kingdom is parallel to power. Now, looking further down in that same Psalm 145, verse 13, we see your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Again, kingdom is parallel to dominion. And then one more, Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So what can we come away from this with? Well, God's word is saying kingdom is a reign. It's a rule. It's a dominion. It's not speaking of a, of a realm, but a reign. And what is this rule and reign over? Well, it's God's own people. Paul, writing to Titus, talks about this in chapter 2. He says, What Jesus came to accomplish on the cross was to rescue a people for himself. It says that Jesus gave himself for us that we might, he might redeem us from every, every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous of good works. And as Kevin DeYoung says, pastor and writer, he says, kingdom is a dynamic word and a relational word about people and their relationship to God, their king. And there's one verse that's a haunting verse, and I've heard other people talk about it. It's in Matthew 7 to kind of drive this point home about kingdom and reign and rule in the hearts of people. And it's Matthew 7. It's where it says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these mighty things in your name? And Jesus' response is, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker, you evildoers. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that, I mean, they're talking about mighty things that they've done. 
And they're convinced in their minds that they know him. And they repeat it, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things? And he said, depart from me. And the key part of that is, I never knew you. It's relationship with the king. Now, with that, it does not mean geography is not a part of a kingdom, but it's not essential to it. At least for now, we can see this, can't we? We are called strangers and exiles on the earth, a people without a land, without a country. In Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, beautiful chapter, talks about all the people that in history that have served the Lord and didn't realize fully the promises here on earth. And they looked forward to something else, didn't they? Abraham is a prime example. He said, it says that Abraham left his home for the promised land, but he was still in even looking to the promised land. Remember God said, okay, pack up, Abe. I'm going to tell you where to go, but you're not, I'm not going to tell you where, essentially, that's what he said. You just go. You just pack your bags and I'll, I'll reveal where you're going. I mean, what a step of faith. But even once he was in the promised land, It says that he was looking forward. He was looking into the future, it says in Hebrews 11, to a city with foundations whose builder and architect is God himself. These wanderers, these sojourners, it says they were not looking to their country from where they come from, but were looking for a heavenly country where God has prepared for them a city. So kingdom is a rule, it's a reign, it's not necessarily a physical realm primarily, and this is an all-important distinction to keep in our minds when we talk about kingdom. A rule, a reign over God's people in the hearts of his people. So this word gospel in this phrase, as we know, means good news, right? Glad tidings. In the Old Testament, it was announcement of a battle a lot of times. The winning, a kingdom defeating another kingdom in battle, being won or an enemy defeated. This good news, this gospel, this glad tidings is the power we know that Paul talks about that leads to salvation. In the gospel is power. And it's because without it, our situation is bad and it will only get worse. Because there is judgment coming if we're not in the kingdom, ruled and reigned by the king himself. So together, it's good news about the kingdom of God, where God reigns over the people he is saving out of this world. And for what purpose? What is the goal of history? What is the goal of us being here? That's a big question, and philosophers have debated that over the centuries. What's the reason for our existence? What is God all about? What is he doing? Why did his son have to come? And this is it. And it's a mystery that's been revealed. This mysterious plan and will of God is to bring all things in heaven and on earth under the authority of Christ, his son. We can see from this all things in heaven and earth that this is vast. There's an old Reformed theologian. I can't remember his first name, last name, Kuiper. And he said, there's nothing on earth that Jesus doesn't say when he looks at it. That is mine. (laughs) That is mine. Because he made it all. It's vast. It's, It's universal. And ultimately, this kingdom will involve the whole world. 
And we tend to minimize it, don't we? Sometimes we make it more about ourselves, don't we? I know I do. This gospel is about my peace. It's about my happiness, about my, my needs. And don't misunderstand me. These blessings that come to us through the gospel of the kingdom are wonderful, but it's not what the kingdom is. We've heard it made about social issues or political movements, but that's not what it is. Some would even say kingdom is about planting trees, and I came from a very young church of young Christians in Denton, planting trees and delivering hot meals to the homeless and renovating a city, bringing order from chaos. Those are all good things, and we should be about these things. But a person can do these things without being under the rule and lordship of Christ, can't can't they? This humanitarian efforts. So this gospel of the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of Jesus in people's hearts. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Kingdom is defined relationally, as I said. It exists where knees and hearts bow to the king and submit to his will. Been convicting for me this last two weeks. Understanding kingdom. Because if you think about this relational aspect of kingdom, it brings it home, doesn't it? It's not something out there. It's not something necessarily that we do. It brings it right here. It brings it to my heart. It brings it to my thoughts. It brings it to my attitudes. It brings it to the way I work. Why do I work? And how do I work? And what motivates me to do a good job? It says not to do things to be a man pleaser, but to do it because God watches everything, do all things for the glory of God. That's challenging. But this is what this means with this term of kingdom. It's the rule and it's the reign of Jesus, the creator of all things, the savior of the world. He deserves that. I've been moved reading through the Old Testament. I'll try to not chase too many rabbits here. But I've been moved to read What is God's beef so many times with his people? And and this thought came to me. It's giving God his due. That's all he's saying. (laughs) We give a lot of due to people, don't we? I mean, we have to pay taxes. You know, Uncle Sam, he's he's due something. We could pretend he's not, and then we'll go to jail, right? (laughs) We give a lot of things our due. But the one person in the universe that deserves it all, the very heart that's beating, the very mouth that I have to speak, the tongue that I have, is from Jesus. He made me. He formed me in my mother's womb. He deserves to be king. Not out there. It starts here in my heart. Am I allowing him? Am I submitting to his leadership and lordship? And I believe it's true. I used to think it was kind of a religious statement. It's like, well, he can't just be Savior. He's got to be Lord. He's got to be both. And he's taking ground in our hearts, isn't he? He's a patient Savior. We're not finished yet. It's like the old song, I've got a mansion builder who ain't through with me yet. He's building us up as his people. And he's changing our hearts if we'll allow him to. So we've looked at this idea of God's kingdom now. Why do we need this gospel or good news of the kingdom? Well, you know, 
it's pretty obvious, right? Especially today with all that we see going on in our world, looking in the streets. Have we ever believed that we would see what we're seeing today in the streets of our cities in, in the U.S.? Why did the king of heaven have to come? Why did the creator himself have to come? That's a big question. God, doesn't that seem a little extreme? You're going to send your son to this earth to live and to die and to be executed with the hands of men that you made? This must be an extreme situation that we don't really understand. Well, we don't understand it because God has to reveal it to us. It's because he came. It's because of the state of our world. And this goes back to the beginning, doesn't it? The very beginning in Genesis. As Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, and I'm going to give him credit because I listen to him about every morning. He's an old English preacher, and you can listen to all his 1,500 sermons. (laughs) And he preached in England and London through the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And I'm going to give him credit because I've followed his outline so much on this, this message. But he says, as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, this world has gotten into the wrong hands. Why did the Son of God have to come? Because this world has gotten into the wrong hands. Men cannot see their losses unless God shows them. And we cannot see the depths of our sin and rebellion except through God's Word and through the Holy Spirit revealing us to us. So what does God say about our world? It's different than what you're going to hear on the news. We just need change. We just need reform, right? What does God say about our world? Well, he says our world is evil. He says it's dark. He says it's corrupt. He says it's controlled by the prince of the power of the air. That the whole world is in the embrace of the wicked one, as 1 John says. You know what that imagery is? And I taught on this before. It's this picture of a child sitting in the lap. It's like we were sitting in the lap of Satan. The world is in the embrace of the wicked one. That's not very politically correct, is it? But that's God's view. That's the way God sees the world. And that's the real view. There was one called the God of this world who has blinded the minds of people so that they cannot see the light of this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, as seen in the face of Jesus Christ. A kingdom of darkness, as Paul says in Colossians, set against the rule and the reign of God. And there's that idea of kingdom, right? The God of this world, he's established his kingdom. And we can continue to blame the lack of education, a need for new government or political reform. We can blame this president or the previous president, but we will not get to the heart of the problem. Which is man is in a state of rebellion against his maker and he has erected a rule and a reign of himself, for himself, and by himself. That's the problem. That's why. It took such extreme measures. That's why God had to come himself. There was no man up to that task. So again, why did the king and creator of the universe have to come? Two big reasons. First, the God of this world who has gained control had to be defeated. Who was up for that? Pick a man, any man. Pick King David. Did he stand 
when he was when he was tempted, he was taken down big time with Bathsheba. He not only committed adultery with this Uriah's wife, he set it up so her husband would be killed on the battlefront. A man after God's own heart. The man that would, he said, God said, your reign will be forever. There will be one come you down from you in your loins and lineage that will continue forever and ever on the throne. Which we know who that is. That's Jesus. It had to be somebody outside of this realm. We're all in the same ocean of sin drowning it's got to be somebody coming from outside of our system in a boat someone outside that has not been affected by sin that is stronger than this god of this world that could defeat him and this is why he came the reason the son of god came was to destroy the works of the devil first john three and how do we see this in real time We see Jesus in the temptation earlier in this chapter, facing the God of this world, mano y mano, face to face, hand to hand. How did he put him down? With the word and the authority of God. If you be the son of God, do this. If you be him, do this. Jesus didn't take the bait. What did he say? It is written. The word of God, the same word that came out of Jesus' mouth, the creator, to say, let there be light. (laughs) This angel was no competition for him. He had to come. It had to be him. And the situation was dire for us. We needed a strong man. It couldn't come from us. We see Jesus destroying Satan's works here in our text where it says Jesus went about healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Don't we struggle in our bodies? And this is a tribute to the work of Satan, the God of this world. He hates us and he hates God's people. What did it say he comes to do? To kill, to steal, and destroy We need to quit blaming each other. We do, saints. We have an enemy, a common enemy, and it's not the person sitting next to you. It's not even the person you're married to. (laughs) Sometimes we feel that, don't we? And ultimately, this man that came, he called himself the son of man, right? That was that Daniel phrase, speaking of Messiah, this God-man, the son of man. He had to come and ultimately defeat Satan, and he defeated him on the cross. And it says in Colossians, Paul says, on his cross, by having disarmed the powers and authorities, these are spiritual powers, demonic powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. By the cross. God's weakness. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men, right? He showed his strength by dying. He won the victory by dying, but he didn't stay there, did he? And second, and Jesus came to free all of creation from the bondage of corruption due to man's sin, Romans 8. And praise the Lord for us. Jesus has canceled our debt, the guilt of our sin, which condemned us, right? We were on death row. Because you've got a loving God, but you've got a holy God. He cannot violate his character. He can't turn an eye. To sin. It's just like our judicial system. Can you, can you just let people go? 
Now, that's questionable today, <laughs> but um, it would be, it'd be a farce of justice to just let guilty people go. He couldn't deny that. He, he's got, and there's a, I'm chasing rabbits here, okay? There's a movie. It's uh, National Treasure. I think it's the second one. You remember the movie where he's going to steal, the second one where he's going to steal the Constitution? And it's for a good cause because somebody else is going to steal it and use it. He's going to steal it to protect it. And the FBI guy is sitting on the por- uh, the steps, right? And he says, I can't remember, it's Nicholas Cage, right? Plays the main part. And he goes, uh, man, I really, he said, because the FBI guy knew what he did. He stole it, but he did it for a good purpose to protect it from this other guy. And uh, he said, I really don't want to persecute you. I mean, I really don't want to prosecute you because I understand what you did, good motives. But he says, at the end of the day, somebody's got to go to jail. <laughs> Somebody's got to go to jail. And it's the same with God. He's holy. And he can't deny his his holiness. So somebody's got to go to jail. And we know who did that for us, right? God's son. He's canceled our debt. He's nailed it to the cross. So we've seen what the gospel of the kingdom is and why we need it. So now how is this kingdom established? First, what it is not. So the kingdom of God is not of this world. And Jesus said it exactly with those words. When asked by Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Is your kingdom of this world? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I mean, he just straight out said it. And he said, "Why? Well, how can you see that? He said, if it were of this world, my servants would fight for me. They would take up arms. So it's not the kingdom like we think of a kingdom, defending borders, establishing themselves, protecting themselves in this earthly sphere. His kingdom is something different. Israel was looking for a conquering king, weren't they? A revolutionary, a political leader that would deliver them as a nation from Roman oppression. They missed it, didn't they? And we miss it too, don't we, sometimes? John the Baptist, even John the Baptist had his disciples ask Jesus, are you the one, the Messiah, or should we look for another? The forerunner of Jesus that was prophesied about in Malachi. There will be one coming before you. Remember John the Baptist? Even he stumbled. He's like, Jesus, what are you doing hanging up around in the in the villages in Galilee? You need to come down to Jerusalem. I mean, you can see this thought process. Then he ends up in prison. He loses his head over that. You can see how he stumbled. This is not the king that I pictured in my mind to take to take over. And he had his disciples come, and he said, are you the one? And what did Jesus do? He said, he told his disciples and go and tell John what they saw. He said, the blind see, the lame walk, the the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And you know what that is? That's a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. That is what the Messiah would do when he came. That's what he looked like. This other world sense of the kingdom stumbled even the greatest man born of woman According to what Jesus said, even John the Baptist. So second, the kingdom, it doesn't come, it doesn't come by something that, it's not physical, it's not of this world, but it also doesn't come by observation. This is what stumbled the Jews and many even today. It comes secretly, it comes imperceptibly, not with fanfare that the world would recognize. And think about it. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom would come, he said, it's not, if they say, go here, go there, what did Jesus say? Don't go there, don't go here. What did he say? The kingdom is in your midst. 
There's a translation that says it's within you, but the better translation in context, what he's saying to the Pharisees, it's here. It's among you. It's right here. And you know what? I was listening to that. I was thinking, it's so ironic. It's kind of like when Pilate said, what is truth? And he's looking at Jesus, the embodiment of truth, face to face, right? <laughs> Couldn't see it. And they're looking for the kingdom. And I wrote this down. I was thinking, it's ironic that the Pharisees asked the question about the kingdom coming. They were looking for something rather than the king himself. And he was standing right there in front of them in their midst. That's what he meant. The kingdom is amongst you. Where the king is, that's where the kingdom is. Where the rule and reign of the king is, that's where the kingdom is. They missed it. And don't we miss it, don't we, sometimes? We're looking for a thing, not him. We're looking for an outcome, a result, but not him himself, the king. He wasn't a politician. He wasn't a mighty leader, but a humble carpenter preaching the good news that the God of this world had been served notice. Oh, I love that. The God of this world has been served notice. And this is where especially this kingdom of God is mysterious in the way we experience it, isn't it? Think about the way we experience the kingdom. We are now in the kingdom. If you know him today, if he's in your heart, he's brought you into his kingdom. He's translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. You're there now. But think about it. The kingdom has come to us now, but much like it came the way Jesus came the first time. That's why it's really mysterious in a lot of ways. There was no fanfare for this little baby born in the manger, was there? Not at all. Very few people knew it, except the wise men that God revealed to them, and they came. Their world gave little notice to this king who entered our world. Think about it. At his birth, the decree of Caesar Augustus, people were more concerned about having their taxes increased than the welcoming of a king. <laughs> it sounds like us, doesn't it? It's all about economy. It's all about taxes. No, <laughs> Those are important things but not as important as the king himself. We see this too in our lives, don't we? This already and not yet nature of the kingdom. Already and not yet. Think about these, these scriptures. We are citizens of the world, citizens of heaven, and yet we're citizens on the earth, aren't we? We are said to be in the world, but we're not of the world. That we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear son, to the kingdom of light. We live in this present evil age, but we await the end of the ages. The kingdom age where Jesus will be king and the former things will pass away. All pain, all death, all corruption will be put away in this future kingdom that we are part of right now in its kernel form, in its seed-like form. And how is it being established now? The kingdom of God is now not being established or built outwardly, but secretly by the Spirit of God working in the hearts of people. It's established quietly in small ways, ways we can easily miss. And when I read through the one chapter that talks probably one of the most prolific about dealing with this idea of the kingdom is Matthew 13. And how does he talk about it? How does Jesus talk about it? He talks about it in parables. So that once again, you're getting this mysterious language. But it is a mystery in so many ways. So how does he describe this kingdom? Think about it in terms of this quiet, this, this imperceptible way it's here now. He describes the kingdom like a seed being planted in soil, different soil. 
You know, when you plant a seed, and I've been around my grandpa and my dad enough with gardens, you got to be patient. <laughs> You're not going to set up your launcher out there and just kind of, let's watch the seeds, let's watch them pop up. <laughs> I mean, it takes a long time, and you got to nurture these things, right? It's slow. Like wheat, he compares it to like wheat and weeds growing in a field. I just learned something about wheat and weeds. You know, when he said, the, the people said, well, let's pull the weeds out. And Jesus said, no, wait, because by pulling the weeds out, you could pull the good seed out. But there was a weed back then that in its early form, it looked just like wheat. Like yeast in a lump of dough. And I had to ask my wife about this. I thought all the women are going to just laugh at me about because I do not cook, okay? But leaven is the old biblical term, but it's basically yeast. You put it in dough to cause it to rise. But, you know, like Mimi said this morning, you put it in there and then you leave. You're not going to sit there and watch it. <laughs> it takes time. A treasure in a field, a pearl of great price. And this is where I'll, I'll deal with this real quickly because it hit me personally. It's like a man finding a treasure in a field. And what does he do? He goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. And what is that saying to us? That's the kingdom. That's, that's Jesus in your heart, ruling and reigning. Would I be willing to sell everything I've got to have this, to have Jesus as my king? These are slow things. And also remember, as we're about this, we plant and we water. We're called laborers in this harvest. But remember, God causes the growth. We don't build this, we don't build this thing. We don't cause it to grow. We are just faithful to plant. We're faithful to water. And God will cause the growth. So how long would this age last? This is my last question. Matthew twenty four fourteen. This kingdom of the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So what Jesus started here now, the kingdom now, he inaugurated it. He initiated it but with his first coming, but it will be consummated, completed, and perfected with his second coming. We need to really keep that in mind. There's, no, there's no, not going to be a utopia here, guys. You're going to be disappointed. It's a dark world. It's an evil world. And we're like an outpost in this dark and evil world. We're like, I was thinking about an embassy in a foreign country. And we're ambassadors living in that embassy, but all around us, or people that probably don't really like us, right? <laughs> and the expansion and the growth of the kingdom is done through the good news, being declared and lived out in us, people of the kingdom, people that, and, and leading people by what they see to, to want to come into relationship with the king. So what was without observation the first time he came will be on full display with the, for the whole world to see when he comes again. And thank God, Jesus is coming again. It says the same way you see him leave, he's coming the same way. Every eye will see him, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess. Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Jesus, the true king, will come in his glory with all the angels with him. That day is coming. As real as I'm standing here today, as real as any experience you've had in your life, or looking forward to, that, that going to Hawaii, or, or doing something that you're looking for, you're saving for, and you know it's going to come. 
But even those things can get kind of short-circuited, right? But we know you could bet your lunch money that the same experience we're having now, we're going to experience the coming of Jesus the same way they experienced him leaving and saw him descend on the Mount of Olives. He will come the same way. And the kingdom of the world, it says, will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And Charlie and I, thinking about playing music, Handel's Messiah, it was written by a man for the glory of God. And he will reign forever and ever. You can't listen to that song without just goosebumps, right? I mean, it's like, and he will reign, and he is coming. So what a glorious future we have, saints of God, when Jesus is king over all, when the former things have passed away and every tear will be wiped away by our loving king. And how is this possible? How is this possible? Because Jesus will be in charge. Jesus will be in charge. And I thought about this. Think about this, this thought. Apart from the reign of God, heaven is meaningless. Apart from the reign of God, heaven is meaningless. What are we looking for here? And we're always disappointed in our leaders, aren't we? We're always disappointed. There's a reason for that. Because if Jesus is in charge, everything will be put right. If Jesus is in charge, everything will be done justly and righteously and truthfully. And honestly, Jesus makes heaven, heaven. Heaven will be heaven because Jesus is king. This world seems like it is hell sometimes because Jesus is not king in the hearts of all people. We shouldn't be surprised by what we see in our streets and in the world. We really shouldn't. We need to pray for the world. Because now this is, kingdom has been inaugurated. You know what this time is for? It's for ingathering. It's for ingathering into this kingdom that's in its kernel form. But it's real. We experience the blessing. We're forgiven. We have eternal life. We have relationship. We have the down payment of the Holy Spirit. We have all those things. But one day it'll be fully consummated, fully perfected in its full glory when he comes. This new heavens and this new earth, it says, will come when this world has melted away with fervent heat. When you talk about global warming, I'm not trying to be funny, but this earth will burn up. And I'm not taking a political position there, by the way. A new realm with a new king where the lion will lie down with the lamb and all God's redeemed people will live to the glory and the will of God. What a world it would be if everyone is living under the kingship of Jesus and living for the glory and the will of God. That's heaven. That's heaven. It's not here. It's coming. It's coming. Brothers and sisters, what a glorious future we have to look forward to. While on this earth we groan inwardly, it says, as we await eagerly our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies and what we experience now in our pain and struggle and suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us in romans 8 so to conclude the gospel of the kingdom of god it is about a rule it's about a reign it's about a king even though the kingdom in its fullness awaits us we are now in that kingdom 
We have been commissioned by the king to be ambassadors to this world, and we are, are to declare the good news of the kingdom of God. That the king has come, that he's gathering people into his kingdom from this world, out of this kingdom of darkness, to enter his kingdom by faith in his life, in his works, in his death, and in his resurrection. For most of you that know Jesus, I'll say this, as your Savior, my challenge to you is this morning, as it is to me, and it has been to me for the last two weeks, to think about this. And in light of this idea of the kingdom, is Jesus the King ruling and reigning in our hearts? Is Jesus' ways more important than my ways? Is Jesus' heart and what he desires more important than what I desire? Am I about my agenda and about my time and protecting my time? And I struggle with that. I'm selfish with my time. But every day that I have, every moment of breath that I breathe has been given to me as a gift. I'm a steward of even the breath that I breathe. For some of you that have not come into relationship with the King by faith, he is saying to you what he said 2,000 years ago and people could hear his voice ringing across the hills there in Galilee when he said on the boat, the sea, and they'd sit on the shore and listen to him teach. These, these words still ring. Respond to these words if you, if you haven't yet today. Jesus says this to you today if you don't know him. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for your word, for... Lord, for your spirit. We can't see any of this, and we haven't been able to see any of it except the fact that you've opened our eyes to see it. I think of the disciples when you would speak in parables to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the people, and then you would pull them away, and the disciples would say, okay, Jesus, tell us what you meant by the parables, and he would patiently explain to them what he meant. Lord, you do the same for us. You reveal to us because we're your children and you've brought us into your kingdom to be our king and our Lord and our Savior. And we thank you, God, for that. We thank you for this awesome thing that you've given us. And Lord, help us not put it under a bushel. Let us be that light on a hill. Let us be the salt of the earth to go out and proclaim the greatest good news that ever anyone has ever heard. That God came to earth on a rescue mission to save and to seek those who were lost, speaking of every one of us and all the lost people in the world that we bump elbows with. And I think, I'll end with this, I think of the song, People Need the Lord. At the end of Broken Dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. Let us be the ones to go out and share this good news with people in need in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.